0: Turns out he's a major cinephile. They don't watch enough movies! It's a very simple formula! And here we go. Hello cinephiles, your favorite movie podcast host is back at it again. Shout out Caller Daddy the inspiration for me getting into podcasting. So, I tried long and hard to come up with something specific, a real theme or topic for this week's episode, and I came up with some future ones. I might have like 60 more topics as of right now, but I wanted to do something a bit more personal, something to keep y'all up to date with what I'm watching these days, and I figured this could be our very first, the inaugural iteration of the mixed bag episode, part one of this new exciting type of podcast episode what I envision this to be is talking shows I'm watching something new some old just what I've been up to maybe I can inspire you to watch or we can discuss the merits of them or if they turned out not so good I mean I generally do give things the benefit of the doubt to my media So what are we talking here today? Well, first, I teased it maybe a few episodes ago, but I finally got around to the 2013-14 TNT critical hit, Mob City, as well as the three recent season finishers of The Boys, Lovecraft Country, and Hellstrom. So away we go to part one of the Mixed Bag episode. Also, before we start, three of these shows have finished this month. So it should be implied, but now let's state it clearly. Spoiler alert. Oh my goodness, I cannot believe I waited so long to finally watch Mob City. Just, it had me from the opening title screen, the music, beautiful. Now just a little backstory before I get into too much into the show. This was something that I didn't watch it live, obviously as I'm saying this is the first time I've watched it. And it was something that I, you can't find it anywhere streaming wise without paying for it. So I actually ended up getting it years ago. I bought it on back when it was all still iTunes. The sixth episode, of the whole season. So that's how I watch it. Sadly, it's very unavailable unless you're actually paying for it. You can't just pay for a streaming service. But just wanted to put that out there because I like you guys to know what's accessible to what I'm watching and how I'm doing it. This show, Mob Show, it plays with the tropes like from the beginning of like you know you always have the guy with the cello but is it a cello no it's a big submachine gun thing in a cello case right they have that in james bond with uh, one of the timothy dalton movies it's a, it's a trope of the mob thing and just movies in general and they play with it pretty interestingly in the beginning because they have orchestra cases but turns out They have instruments. So guys are like, okay, well, like, play something. And it turns out they can all super brilliantly play viola, violin, and all that stuff. And then someone walks up with a baby carriage, and in the baby carriage is the guns. And that's how they got away with it. I mean, just playing with the tropes a little bit. Beautiful. I I love it. Also, this cast is just loaded. Frank Darabont created the show, and got his Walking Dead alums, John Bernthal, who was Shane there, Jeffrey Damon, who was Dale, and Andrew Rothenberg, who was Jim in season one, who hopefully still follows me on Twitter. They also have Milo Ventimiglia from Heroes, Neil McDonough from Captain America and the Arrowverse, Robert Nepper from Prison Break, and they got Simon Pegg to guest star, and we'll talk about him later. This is based on a book called L.A. Noir. I don't think I looked really hard. I don't see a relation to the video game, but there's some interesting similar parallels, but it's a bit different. It's based on a book, but you know what isn't based on a book these days, right? So Simon Pegg really gets to eat up his brief role in this, and I love how you know using him we can instantaneously get to see the moral flexibility of our lead in John Bernthal, and you know unlike Westworld, right, where they have that whole thing of the black hat or the white hat, you know, and he even says it in the beginning, uh, Bernthal's character in a monologue about you know his hat is a world of gray hats, and you know really everyone in this show is morally flexible, you know, except for. I guess one guy who's called like Bill the Boy Scout but pretty much everyone else is has some level of iffiness and that's good it makes it feel a little more genuine where it's not just the westerns of old right and even just the the look and the atmosphere speaking of authenticity and the music it all just feels period piecey. now is it as rough and gritty as it really was no it's going to be glamorized but a lot of mob things are glamorized that's the whole shtick the whole portrayal that given in cinema and tv i feel like it all feels a little bit glamorized and isn't that the point Gotta say, the review is pretty good on IMDb at a 7.5, and I remember saying in the beginning of this, it was critically appreciated, right? But it was not commercially viewed, and you could blame time slots being such a short thing. It got a lot of advertising. I remember advertising it, and look, I am also at fault here. I did not watch it live. I also wasn't a Walking Dead fan yet. I feel like if I was, I would have jumped on this. If this had been a AMC show instead of a TNT show, maybe it would have done better. Maybe. That's my two cents on the matter. But it is the worst when a show is good artistically but just can't get that viewership. Agent Carter Revolution had those same prompts. Now I don't know if people would say Revolution was as artistically good. I really enjoyed Revolution. And it had Giancarlo Esposito, someone we talk about on at least more than 50% of these episodes. I I don't have a record, but that's got to be somewhat accurate like imagine if a gritty mob show had this cast which was so strong and it could have been on amc or even you know a showtime or hbo what it could have done and what it could have lived up to i think this would have been a show and look we talk about firefly sometimes too way ahead of its time I don't think this was ahead of its time I think it was just at the wrong place at the wrong time but it hurts my heart watching and living for one hit wonders that's why I made a whole episode about this topic and I'm sure I'll make another one There's so many of those one-hit shows that just never got the chance to fly and become a beautiful butterfly, right? Bug's life. Also, seeing Nepper from Prison Break in a real TV role where he can get back to being that, like, menacing, kind of creepy figure, huge. This and, like, Heroes to some degree in this final season, not counting the revival, are both, like, good uses for him. But I feel like I'm always disappointed at seeing him, you know, in some movie. And the movie might be big, but they, like, generically have him in there, but he doesn't do anything. Like, I was ecstatic. Like, oh, he's going to be in the Mockingjay movies? Oh, man. Natalie Dormer's in those? Oh, man, this is going to be awesome. And just, you know, he was a new character, so we reading the books, you don't know what he's going to do, and he did nothing. He was just kind of around in two movies. I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's up with that he was also in the earth stood still as a generic army general and he actually has I didn't talk about this but he has a few nice Arrowverse cameos but you know you're in two or three episodes on the entire span of the Arrowverse shows you're not really getting a whole lot of recurring opportunity but he's so good on these tv shows and he never really gets to be the chance to be the guy in a movie and I'm not going to count the first Hitman movie, neither of those movies was super strong of a video game adaptation, sadly, and I can guarantee that will be an episode, that may be coming sooner than we think, the video game adaptations episode. So this is a little bit random, but I love me this L.A. noir vibe, especially with the interrogation scenes, you know, maybe it's just that there's so much network TV cop dramas that all take place in the modern era, and they all feel the same droll, and just kind of generic, like, I don't really care for a CSI, and, you know, who knows what country or state or what special thing they have I just it's boring you know when I think of period pieces like this other than Boardwalk Empire which was beautiful has Steve Buscemi who's my fourth favorite actor so I think I've given you all the list now if you loyal listeners are keeping track magic city also with the amazing jeffrey dean morgan like i have yet to see peaky blinders but i cannot wait once i have a bit more time and there's just not many good period piece mob shows that come to mind there's a swell in cinema tv not so much but i wish they could find a way to bring this show back it's not gonna happen but it would be nice not gonna go too in-depth on Magic City, but I kind of remembered it like last second right before recording it. It's a pretty strong mob piece. There's some interesting family dynamics. The guy's not inherently a mobster, but he has mob ties. He's kind of in bed with them but not like the trigger man per se and I actually watched it on Netflix and it was one of those race to the clock finish it before it it buggers off but thankfully I was able to get it on there sadly it's no longer available to stream anywhere seemingly maybe stars with a z I think was the only one that had it which is it is a stars with a z show and of course you can pay for it on Amazon Prime but I don't normally recommend people to pay for things on Amazon Prime especially if you're already paying for it so say what you will about this genre it's all been done before and it's all style and no substance for me this had some great scenes it was episode 3 or 4 there was this really unique merry-go-round shootout scene that was wonderful and different and I've never seen anything like it like the the merry-go-round's off and this guy's trying to hide from guys and there's three of them and then John Bernthal's character comes in and he turns it everything on and then it's like a shooting gallery with stakes of you know trying to shoot around the merry-go-round horses and trying to balance when everything's moving it's like a very interesting well shot well acted scene and I Super enjoyed it. It's a bit weird seeing uh, Neil McDonough, who we talked about a lot on the Arrowverse show, being in this. And he's a uh, seeing him in this, like, good guy, squeaky clean role compared to his other roles and what I'm used to seeing him in. I really like his uh, fleshed out backstory, though. I, you know, seeing how he came to be who he was. He was this unliked guy who had to go deal with a hostage situation and he figured it out by beating the guy up with a door. It was wild. And we don't get a whole lot of flashbacks, but remember, it's only six episodes. This was styled in the way and I guess this was how they did Walking Dead 2 with a six episode trial season one and then they'd go from there if it exhausted its welcome it would be done if it didn't they would have went on and on and on and some people don't like how Walking Dead ended that way and went right to the farm because season one in the comics could have had a lot more fleshed out but we had a little longer with Shane instead of if it was comic accurate he probably would have been done at the end of season one but would have seen Walkers and Snow a whole lot earlier just throwing that out there pros and cons right And just in general, you know, you watch a mob show, you expect those exciting action shootout set pieces and there's some really good ones here and they're exciting they're not just generic they're well done this is not a slow show as contrary to some imdb users would say this is substance and exciting and you should not get bored watching this show i also appreciate how much we're able to focus on all these characters in some way at times you wonder what's going on with milo ventimiglia's character or robert nepper's character and normally a few seconds later you get to see some face time with them it's almost like the show is knowing how to balance out all these known actors and characters and give them a little more screen time i will say thinking back on this we don't get as much time with jeffrey Demon, but we get enough and you know dale was one of the best parts of the walking dead and it stinks that he was gone after two seasons but just putting it out there if there's one character who maybe got a little short change it was probably jeffrey damon's character he was always there with the rest of the police but he didn't really get a whole lot of development Assumingly, that could have been flushed out in a never gonna happen season two But probably, you know, the saddest thing about these shows and, you know, these shows in general is the same thing will always hurt with these, you know, amazing one season shows is you don't get the true ending that you wish. And, you know, you wish these artistic values could be utilized better and appreciated in a better way to get that full story. My heart will always hurt for Revolution, Agent Carter, and honestly, Mob City might be right up there with Firefly tied for number three for me. Also completely forgot, you know, I looked at the IMDb list before, but when I saw Ernie Hudson. I was like, wow, that's right, Ghostbusters veteran. Actually, he has like a ton of really good short TV cameos when you think about it, like Arrow, Once Upon a Time, just name a few. Just seeing him in this, super exciting. He didn't get to do a whole lot. I think it was in two episodes, but he was clearly being teased into being more of a part of the season two conflict. And just quick... Note back to Ghostbusters. You heard this on the uh, Freeform episode, but I cannot wait to see him and the most of the OG cast back in the Afterlife sequel that's coming out. Look, I love John Burnham. We've heard it before. I, once again, his Funko Pop is right behind me. But um, just seeing his development as a morally great character who will do what he has to for the woman he cares about. We never really did get any war flashbacks, which is kind of where I draw the parallel to the video game Eleanor, where the main character does have that war thing as part of his shaping development of being a member of the police force. In LA Noir. Gotta say, it would have been cool to see some of him and Milo in those flashbacks, what season two could have been. And they really ended it where it was a nice end to a season arc, but clearly they were setting up a more explosive and fun thing with this gang war to become. And it would have been great to watch. It's not a complete end, but it ends nice enough. But you know, you are there wanting more. And it was a fun watch. And I'll say this Peaky Blinders may be coming up sooner than I thought, based on just finishing the show as I'm recording this episode. So we dedicated a whole episode to the boys' first season with guest John Butensky, a bit of a recap and speculative preview of season two. And while we were off the mark on a bunch of things, especially him, how could we not be, right? We didn't write the comic book or the screenplay. So I've been actively watching this season of the show since the you know first episode dropped on September 4th, which while I love back-to-backing these... That's almost half the season in one sitting. Sadly, the one knock on the show is how short the seasons are. Like Rick and Morty, you love it while it's happening, but you crave more so quickly and it's just going to take so long. I don't think the boy season three is going to take as long as Rick and Morty seasons take, but apparently they're rapidly quickening these up a little bit. But now watching those first three, we have some great moments and it does end in a nice cliffhanger if you had to watch it. Those three wait a week and learn what happens next. It's a good good pause point. So what do we have, right? The show loves to play on the tropes of the genre while still having them as a part of it, kind of like what Screen did for the slasher genre. And Y'all know how much I like that franchise. I can't wait for this podcast to blow up, be the most famous podcaster ever. If I can get me one of those Ghostface Funko Pops. That's how I know I've made it. You know, that's tier one, tier two, uh, you know, whatever, top 10 movie TV show podcast on Apple. Those are the barometers for success, right? (laughs) Gotta stop talking about trying to get my Ghostface Funko Pop. So, the show starts off with you know, um, a few phenomenal scenes with the superhero funeral for Translucent. It's pretty amazing, and it's preceded by the much, much needed Black Noir scene, as I discussed in our previous episode. That's actually how the show started off, where I needed more Black Noir, and seeing him take down one of the super terrorists or villains from the previous season all to the music of sympathy for the devil by the stones and this show always has this amazing way of using its music even the overuse of billy joel which is amazing in its own right but somehow it makes the music have a diegetic and meaningful usage for it being how huey remembers his mom who is rarely talked about in either season speaking of his family no simon pegg this season which probably was one of the things I'm not thrilled about. Even a small cameo would have been nice. Doing some reading and reflecting. If they're all fugitives, then how could they find a way to put his father in the story organically? But now that they're all cleared and Huey has a legal job, it would make some sense for him to either live with his dad again or at least have them together for some moment. Also, not sure about the product placement, but there's a few fun jabs with a ton of nods to cult life as well as almond joys that eventually to the demise, temporarily assumedly, of one of the seven. And the boys took a huge dig at one of the Avenger scenes and media coverage in general, with the overmarketing of the girls get it done slogan. Even the compound V reveal is all about public media, and it's a big turning point seemingly until the Vault Media team spins it back to be a non-issue. But marketing and media image will always be a staple of the boys and it's kind of leads me to the biggest part of the season and I said it already, but this whole episode is pretty much spoilers. But one more spoiler warning here, before we get too deep, right? Stormfront was excellent in this series. She comes in as the big badass superhero who speaks her mind, is not part of the company way, she's not sipping the Kool-Aid, and she has this way to rile up the crowd to get them on her side, even turning them against her company and Vaught to get her position of power, becoming romantically involved with Homelander, and those are some specifically special scenes... (laughs) And finding a way to turn his need to be loved by the public to make them this superpower couple. And she almost gets away with her specific master plan. And the reveal of her being a Nazi and super racist, all these things are actually previously hinted at as early as episode three. But seeing it all pay dividends. It's just good storytelling they did already say the show will use covid 19 as a story element for the following season and they did that even this season the same way with the socio-political landscape of inciting the crowd to use fear and hatred to get their way much like supergirl did in its best season ever one day i will stop talking about that but it really was the strongest season by far, that show. And I'm super curious what I will think when I eventually do a deep rewatch into that show. But like that season specifically, I'm very excited for. So other new characters that we get here, the one I was ecstatic about, of course, had to be Sean Ashmore, Lamplighter, one of the original seven that had a really early impact on the show, even though he was never seen. And when we finally do get his reveal and shows his power in action, like the history of the night which saw the boys disbanded initially, and is surprisingly shocking and gruesome. It's brilliant, and I love it. I figured, sadly to be the case, he was going to be sparingly used, and I I kind of hinted at that in the episode I talked with John. He didn't want me to tell it, because not everyone goes in, deep dives into the imdbs of show to see how many episodes characters will be in to try and figure stuff out like i do but you know that's what i do i'm the movie freak here i'm gonna peruse imdb and try to sort things out and you know sadly barring something crazy he's probably not going to be returning now if they try to even semi-revive someone which the superhero genre and the source material of this does have some precedent to it's probably going to be stormfront and of course they are you know kind of have a big hero big character move on have one move it on and you know. They already have their next recurring character for season three it's already going to be the riff on captain america with supernatural star jensen eccles playing soldier boy who they already gave a tease to in i think episode two when homelander is talking to stan edgar but like we said most exciting we have so much more black noir in this series and more stan edgar too kind of working together to get vaught things done and i like that use of noir kind of in the shadows enforcer role there starts to be the seeds of some members of the seven Vault being less than 100% on the same side as, you know, when the show started, so it's nice to see how the small little sects are kind of forming as the show progresses. The Deep had enough screen time with his depression and the amazingly teased whale scene, which was just as diabolical as we looked at it being when we saw it in the trailers. And, you know, seeing the cult he joins and it kind of has all these interesting inner working moving pieces to get probably the biggest surprise of the season with Congresswoman Victoria Newman supposedly based off Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez being the mysterious head popper super powered assassin that was teased as someone else and leads to the amazing hearing scene. Not unlike Batman vs. Superman, but instead of just blowing up, everyone gets their heads exploded. And she's in it. And when they were recording her scene, she didn't actually know she was a villain until that last episode. So, you know, it's interesting watching back where she didn't even know she was the villain. And we as an audience are kind of led to slowly believe that now with the teases. Going into season three, here's where we're at. Billy's wife is dead for real this time. The son, their son out of Homelander rape is gone but I gotta imagine he'll be back to kill Homelander one day kind of that keeping him in check Batman kryptonite thing a train is probably the least utilized this season you know he comes out of his coma he has heart problems he gets replaced by Shockwave who's the other speed guy we saw teased in the ESPN race in season one he got head popped and you know the saving face Vought group had to bring in any sort of diversity uh so they brought a train back obviously he's a little bit in the cult church scene but you know he's back in the seven and the deep is left in the rumination of his play and i don't know really what they're gonna do because the church is taking a big hit because that church guy was the last head pop guy i think so i don't know what the deep's gonna do from here hopefully there's more singing with him and his gills and Patton and oswald because that was something special homelander is even more unhinged they got the cut scene from season one of him jerking off onto the city right into the end of season two and the good news for the boys is they're all exonerated seemingly the group is dissolved uh but they do have permission to legally go and do what they normally do so we'll see where that leads them the assumption is that will not last long right uh and I think Maeve feels like you know she's grown the most And coming into her own or who she's supposed to be. More like the hero that Starlight thought she was in season one. And less like the, you know, what we've come to believe her to be kind of worn out from the X symbol of hope to now being the Vault mouthpiece. I think now she's really kind of become who she's supposed to be so what do i want more of this season well i want some gd simon peg anything like even one scene would be great obviously i want more black noir a little more a train you know giving him a more focused path this season as to what we're doing with the deep even though those two I obviously think, are the least developed coming from season two i eventually we're going to find out who black noir is we got a slight reveal different than the comics is what it seems seeing the small part of his face but a little more of the other background uh, members of the seven would be appreciated and of course maybe some more messed up stuff that i can't even fathom right now i mean that's the staple of the boys this should be a no-brainer some say it's the best mainstay thing amazon prime video has made and i don't think they're wrong get on this show and get caught up before season three you will not regret it superhero fans dark humor fans just good storytelling and cinematography fans and if you like billy joel you're all gonna like this this is for you this show is almost a nine on imdb too so what are you waiting for So if Watchmen was the first bonafide hit of 2019 on HBO Max, Lovecraft Country has to be the first of 2020. If you followed me or the show's account on social, I've been talking about Lovecraft Country for a few weeks. I I couldn't make a video. I had to make sure it's an actual podcast episode part of one. So you're welcome. Y'all know me by now. Slowly but surely I've been working my way up to watching things that I consider once again air quote horror and seeing the first trailer for Lovecraft Country I didn't really know what it was but I knew it was a period piece with scary things happening and it had both Michael Kenneth Williams, Boardwalk Empire and Courtney B. Vance, American Crap Story. So getting into it the beginning is probably the best attention grab a show is ever had as far as I can remember it starts with a strong black and white war movie theme and it slowly shifts to begin with hints of color with some explosions and as the action intensifies and gets a little stranger the colors take on a more vibrant hue there's alien spaceships Cthulhu blending together with this war raging on and yes Jackie Robinson smashing the Lovecraftian horror entity and big bad Cthulhu I didn't know what was going on but I was all about it like who couldn't be with that intro right so a little history literature lesson since one of my main goals of this podcast besides channeling my love of cinema tv and random pop culture fun facts into a creative outlet is to educate you the people the masses well lovecraftian horror is a specific sect of the horror genre named after the author hp lovecraft It's a bit more cosmic. The fear of the unknown is a primary staple as opposed to gore or shock. But don't worry, those are all still a part of here, just not the main part. So some of the themes of the genre, which do play out in this show, are detachment, the view of humanity's insignificance in the great big universe, questionable parentage, helplessness, and hopelessness, sanity, fragility, and vulnerability and unanswered questions. If this sounds exciting to you, it was exciting to me when I read it, so, I can't say I was super familiar with either of our two leads in Journey Smollett and Jonathan Majors to start. Journey was in the criminally underrated and very fun Birds of Prey movie, which is still the last movie I've seen in theaters. I still have to watch The Five Bloods for many reasons, Chadwick Bozeman, obviously, but to watch more of Majors in general. But he was also recently cast in a huge role for assumedly the next Big Bad or one of the next Big Bads in this phase or the next phase of the MCU as Kang the Conqueror. First, seemingly going to be seen and Ant-Man 3 most likely but they are both as well as the whole cast just amazing you know there's a SNL sketch that came out about the show not too long ago you know and it's kind of about explaining what the show actually is and there's some truth to it you can't just quickly break this show down and some may say things are too complex which is an issue with later seasons of Westworld at times but in the case of Lovecraft I never really noticed that to hamper my experience there's this nice family of main characters and they all have interesting different stories and something I really like about the show is every episode feels very different in tone and setting but all really does feel like an interconnected story are we gonna get a haunted house story are we going to get an indiana jones story or something with spooky creepy kids haunting someone but you i know i did watched this show and was wondering what genre of the week we were going to get and Jordan Peele and J.J. Abrams both executive producers on this they made something truly special on HBO Max and it is definitely another really great thing to watch as we get down to the last week of spooky season in October. Always trying to sprinkle on those little festive things in this month's podcast episodes before we're into who knows what to watch in November beside Bob's Burgers on the League Thanksgiving episodes. So early on we get that amazing intro which I previously mentioned but we get this setting real quick that racism and the 50 is going to be a big part of this. You see it hinted at and veiled, and then it grows to outright violent in a hurry. The main three characters at the time are chased out of the town and a restaurant until a police department corners them in the woods, and they're looking to execute them. But quickly, this is our first look outside of the semi-dream sequence in the beginning of these horror creatures. They take out the super racist cops, and there's some vampire stuff, and it's nice to see that Atticus can utilize his knowledge about this stuff from reading a lot of books in the horror and specifically Lovecraft genre to be a bit more of the the guy who knows what's going on to some degree. I also saw some amazing social things about this where like this is how someone should really run in a horror movie where has like you know 40 speed when running from these things. She's not tripping on some branch she's not running into the cemetery or classic horror tropes and get a little hit of magic here from the blonde white people teased in this i love the story of the mansion and the magic fraternity that they were in but not accepted by the predominantly or entirely white group i expected more from this story but they quickly get rid of this group and return back home and sadly we get a very brief amount of Courtney b vance in the show from here michael kenneth williams is the new fill-in for vance and i love him but i would have loved to see the two guys together The adventures range from, you know, a haunted house, a story that would feel right at home with our first season of American Horror Story, to a swashbuckling museum, codes pushing on the walls, tiles falling out, booby trap adventure as only Indiana Jones or Brendan Fraser's mummy can deliver. I love it all. And the show blends these genres so well with all of our different characters. Ruby, Hippolyta, and even Diana all get their own episode to shine and tell their characters arcs. The only episode I did not super love was the Korean War Succubus Divergent episode. Friend of the show, John Mosho, at the time actually told me that was his favorite episode. I was curious how the opinions that we could have were just so different. I actually quite liked one of the crazier visual episodes with the plot point of the show with wearing skin of someone else. Ruby dresses up as a white woman to get a job and see what society is like from that other perspective, and our eventual big bad Christina dressing up as a man to see how society deems her and her way to get ahead in that world. That special effect of skin falling off, it's beautiful in the way that it, you know, is shown in this world. It's disgusting, but very well done. It's it's such an interesting special effect. And seeing Ruby come into her own and, you know, sodomizing that awful boss with her stiletto before shredding, shedding her white skin to reveal to him who she really is. It's just perfection of full circle character arcs here. Also, that episode specifically had some beautiful Cardi B music, which I love Cardi B. She's the best. Up to this point, the show had been mostly oldies music, which is also one of my favorite genres. I lived on Shazam while watching this. And normally I don't like modern music in my period pieces, but since it was infrequently used and used well, I liked it. The exact opposite of my first episode of watching CW's Reign with my mom. Look, we came off Tudor's Henry Cavill, Natalie Dormer, which was perfection coming off Game of Thrones. Reign was this weird teen drama littered with modern music, brutal dialogue, and like hormones aplenty. Lovecraft was not that, thankfully. The Hippolyta episode is pretty different and less scary and more cosmic and fantastical. But it leads to some amazing growth and utilization of this character that most shows would kind of ignore unless to serve as the mother figure who is there to comfort and cook at the home base of the lead characters. They had her explore all that was out there. And some more Courtney B. Vance, which obviously I like. The Jigabobo episode definitely had some us vibes. And I normally don't like creepy kids. I'm not really interested in watching Children of the Corn in my life if I don't have to. But the ominous musical hit and just the level of scares that episode was super strong when it had been a little more unique and different and fantastical in previous episodes before that. And interestingly enough, we did get another look at the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre, previously touched upon at the start of Watchmen, also on HBO Max, and brought this event and moment in history to the public eye again, during these times where it's so important to shed a light on things that happened in the past that we as a society may not have learned from, as we do not really know as a whole about this moment in history. I know I never learned this prior to 2019. What's the saying? Uh, you know, those who never learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So once again, Watchmen, Lovecraft Country, thank you. Oh, and blending of sci-fi and horror, you know, that's also good to make that happen. Also good for that. Just one thing before I get into the last episode, and you should watch this. Yes, yes, you should obviously watch this. I think this show focuses on the wrong LGBTQ story. I feel like the focus is on Montrose Atticus's dad, who's played by Michael Kenneth Williams. And it's a little bit forced where the idea of questioning your sexuality with Ruby, who does get the short end of the stick at times, seems like a super interesting story, because she seems to be in a heterosexual relationship with William, but since he turned out to be Christina in a skin suit, Ruby has to come to terms with that. It takes till the last episode, I think, for them to have a kiss as themselves for the first time not in the bedroom, like out in the somewhere else in the world, and it's a great moment that it takes just a bit too long to get there, and if this show continues most likely this relationship is over and not going to be explored since they both seem to be dead ruby assuredly christina is sort of the question mark well, no actually she's pretty dead she got her throat crushed right <laughs> um the last episode, which came out this past Sunday, has a bit of everything. Generational storylines, time travel, scary creatures, and the most fun, amazing carpool karaoke to the chords, Shaboom. The fight choreography and bringing everyone back in in an awesome time. Yes, a ton of characters die, and most are going to remain so. I just knew Hippolyta was going to give a robot mechanical arm to Diana in some way, and she used that crazy robot arm to destroy Christine and crush her throat in the last moment of the show. But the big question, is Atticus alive? I think that depends on if there's a season two. Thankfully, Letty made it out alive, just in case we have to find a way to bring Atticus back. Thankfully, Letty made it out alive because she did die and then she came back. All good. But just in case we have to find a way to bring Atticus back with a journey from journey. Spoil it. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Uh, you know, to go get him and, you know, maybe she can get Uncle George and Ruby and everyone. I mean, look, I really want Courtney B. Vance more. We'll see what happens. If there's a season two, there's no word on it yet. Should you watch this? I've said it time and time again on social, but yes, watch it, obviously. So the brand new Marvel show, Hellstrom, dropped on Hulu this past Friday. So the most recent of these by far. So it was supposed to be a part of a planned, smaller franchise for the MCU related, but fairly isolated titled Adventure Into Fear. The Gabriel Luna Ghost Rider first introduced in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was supposed to be a part of this, but sadly it was dropped in development. And I will try not to lament on this too much. But his portrayal of Ghost Rider was amazing and one of the best parts of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as a whole. So about this show, it takes two siblings, Damon and Anna Hellstrom, who are children to a satanist, satanic serial killer, And I know nothing about these very obscure Marvel characters, but their dad was either a demon or Satan. And Marvel has a character like this in Mephisto and his son Blackheart. They were the villains of the Nicolas Cage Ghost Rider movie. So I know I'm a little confused about how that stands, but whatever. Watch the show and go on, right? So (laughs) I know reviews for this are average to bad, but I didn't want to let that get me too much of an assumption before diving in. But I did see not strong reviews. I like that the actors especially the leads are not too well known so i kind of just buy into the story especially for something like this where i really don't know the source material so it's all kind of an adventure i've heard many comparisons of lucifer a show i quite like with the amazing tom ellis as lucifer and he really makes that show with his charismatic portrayal of the titular role but at times i find the procedural setting and the tone just a little too goofy and the procedural part just a little bit mundane i've also heard it compared to the exorcist show on fox which i'm still surprised that a show like that was even allowed to air on fox that feels so off-brand for them not even close that feels like a spike tv tnt not even tnt that feels like a spike tv show at best i have not seen this show and don't really have any care to watch it or any of those movies as of recording this podcast i am still terrified of this type of horror but apparently the two seasons had super strong ratings critically even though it was canceled prior to season three the most I care for exorcist scenes is like what they did with the Constantine show yes I can't and won't stop talking about Matt Ryan obviously and what they did with American Horror Story specifically remembering that subplot in season two of Asylum so my take on this show After watching all 10 episodes, I feel like it blends the procedural format a bit better since there are not actual police involved. Having two supernatural leads making them very different, burdened in different ways from their pasts, and having different powers and making the cop equivalent an agent from the vatican i don't know why i like this more it just feels like it makes the atmosphere of the world the show is creating a bit more authentic the pawn shop and the caretaker slash the blood group storylines take a little bit to get into but i like how they made christian the auction partner to anna a part of the supernatural story the pawn shop is less of a story and plot point and more of a story driving vehicle and setting the blood group is a great idea right every supernatural group has the group of average folk trying to end it and that's what they are but at least early when we first meet them there is just not a lot going on even though Gabriella has ties to them in some regard and they become more involved as the show goes we lose a fair amount of them for a time they come back a bit in the end they just never really seem to have that staying power I care for I just wish one of the two siblings had more of a tie to them before they were gone or had more of a presence maybe they could have dived in more in season two no word on season two as of now the blood is more like a minor annoyance than a true threat. Kind of the opposite of like the Children of Liberty in the best season of Supergirl. I know, eventually I'll stop talking about it. I kind of wish there were more of a threat though, you know. They're present in the show, but rarely feel like the real threat to our heroes or our villains. I have to say, Gabriella joining them is a bit exciting to see where that could lead if season 2 happens. So I definitely feel like the brother is more developed of a character. Most likely because the show really starts with him and his top to their demon possessed mother but I like seeing how different their lives are one working loosely with someone with ties to the Vatican and one using her powers to rid the world of evil people I kind of like seeing them together and how they both deal with the trauma of their past that having one more muted and one being a little more edgy neither one is too outlandish and over the top but where a ton of critics see that as a negative I see this as a dark, grounded tale that is spooky but not outright terrifying or outright silly and zany as Lucifer can be at times. I have not really seen too many shows like this, except for Constantine, and even he is super charismatic. But it's kind of nice to not get too blown away with the fun character and instead, like, really get lost in the world and ambience of scares. The one thing about the two characters that's... A little confusing at times is I feel like the cynicism is blurred a bit with Damon you know he has it around everyone else except for his sister Anna and with her she always has it but has a bit more when discussing their mom and Damon has the hopeful side especially when his mom is concerned I just feel like that line is blurred sometimes and you get nervous if they're gonna be a bit too droll which was I think one of those criticisms from a lot of critics but at the end of season one all of our characters are changed and you know I think many are worse off some of them are grown for the better but I think most of them are in some degree worse off and I like a show that doesn't just coddle their characters I mean our siblings and the family are closer than ever and none of the main cast is dead so you know that but it feels like a temporary good unrelated to all of the crap that they went through and you know seemingly very very temporary they have a ton of scares and they're not like legitimate blood curdling scares but some good jump scares to be sure honestly it's not a bad thing to watch also in october but when it does get gory it's some good gore the coffin kill in episode one primo Primo, beautiful. Speaking of gore, just the special effects are good and exciting, sometimes relating to magic, sometimes relating to gore. It just looks nice, and the fight choreography is fun mixed with the special effects. It kind of blends together nicely with the physical fighting and the magical fighting. I kind of like how the show kind of lasts a pretty long time without really getting to see our true villain. The demon and their mom is good as the menacing voice, it's a nice touch, and She's always around since the onset of the series and is like the, if it's a long lasting series, that's the season villain, but we're not seeing the series villain, but seeing the string puller and Papa and like the tease to season two, end of season one finale sting you know, finally. He is rarely seen, but his menace and power is there, and he looks amazingly cast, if the show continues, as Mitch Palaiki, who is the actor in the role. I don't know how people are saying they don't care about these characters. I like the main cast, and the caretaker is our fun, light character that can sprinkle on that levity without being too silly and over the top. I mean, look, he says the line, Vatican Schmatican, and saying, like, oh, what's that? And it's like, I think it's Latin. I mean, that's, it's pretty, like, solid, subtle joke. It's not, like, burst-a-gut laughing, but this show's, that's not really this show. It just sprinkles the levity. As far as actors go, I love seeing so many things with Hiro Kanagawa. You may not know the name, but you've seen him in any of these. The Terror, Legends of Tomorrow, Heroes Reborn, Man the High Castle, Base Motel. I mean, hello. So many things that I like that he's in. I always like him in things. And he's in this role very briefly, but it's just nice to see him constantly in things I'm watching. Any of these fun Marvel callback Easter eggs, you know, look, they have Roxxon Corporation featured as a gas station, and this is barely a Marvel show. But I like these deep cut mentions especially since this is a current thread that keeps existing in the MCU most of the time in TV shows like Agent Carter and Cloak and Dagger but the Iron Man trilogy did keep some mention of them maybe one day we'll get to see more of them you know you never know right MCU phase 12 maybe right? <laughs> who knows when they're gonna stop also if you don't know this by now music is very important to me and having like fun narrative tease music in all these episodes for the credits i was sitting on shazam once again for every single one of these and the intro music slaps with some ominous oldies jams hell yes all about it so what you really want to know should you watch it well i can you know comparing it to what else is on this list The Boys, Lovecraft, non-negotiable, have to watch it. Mob City, I could see why someone may not want to watch it and, you know, watch a boardwalk empire instead. I liked it. This one's a little trickier, right? I think you should. It's a bit supernatural, a little spooky. It's a very small bit superhero-ish. It's also very dark. It's, it looks great. You have a, it's a bit of a slow burn. Now, some people don't love that genre, right? You know, The Killing, Broadchurch, True Detective, they're all slow burns. Now look, this is not as good as True Detective. That show is a masterpiece. I know season two, a little iffy, but as a whole, it's a good show, right? Not really a question. And not all slow burns are good. Not everyone likes The Killing. I'm hit or miss with The Killing. I despise The Fall, especially because I think Jamie Dornan is a better actor than the weird, creepy guy typecast roles he is known for in that and Fifty Shades of, you know. <laughs> but sometimes the atmosphere and smaller scale stories, it's just nice to soak it in and get engrossed in. I just wanted to continue to watch this show more and more as i went on it filled the void i have had ever since constantine was canceled way back in 2015 now i hope they both get a season two come on hulu and super come on the cw and with that show constantine specifically i want everyone back harold perineu angela celia and charles halford also jeremy davies already appeared in the elseworld crossover as a different character so make it all happen cw tangent over put a stamp on it put a fork in it it's done So that's it, knick-knack gang. I know this is something a little bit different, so I'm curious. What do y'all think? Less of a specific episode and more fun, a mixed bag of shows. Mostly current and one a little bit older. But sometimes I just want you guys to get a little more insight into the everyday me when I'm watching, currently, and having things a bit less planned out and structured. If you guys have any movies or shows you want me to dive into... Maybe they can be talked about on this show and I'll give you a little shout out for the hint at the topic or the suggestion of the topic. Please reach out on social, either Movies or knickknack underscore IC. Look, words of affirmation and physical touch are two of my love languages. But in this case, I would love some acts of service with those words of affirmation to let me know y'all are digging this podcast. So go to Apple Podcasts, write a review. It could be funny, heartfelt, or super brief. But tap those stars. Not one, not two, Not three, not four, but five stars for those reviews. Make sure they're both parts in there. You can find us just about everywhere you find your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and so many more. Still waiting on Pandora, but hopefully soon. Then you can listen one more way on your smart TV, Roku, or Fire Stick. Tell all of your movie and TV friends, listen. Our show is on Buzzsprout, our podcast hosts, and they're just the best, right? And as always, folks, until next time, you cinephiles, you. Are you not entertained? I think this is going to be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. I don't like goodbyes. Let's just call this. See you later, alligator.